We have an opportunity this evening at 5 o'clock for a small group here at the building. Um, we've been doing that in the summertime where um, our small groups are typically in home, but, um, but we've had those, um, that group be able to meet here or have an option here. Um, those in-home small groups will start September the 12th, so if you're interested in participating, there are sign-up sheets out in the back in the Welcome Center. And that'll give you an idea where those are. If you have questions about that or something that maybe you haven't participated in in the past but are, are wondering what that looks like, um, look to the names on that or ask me and I can ca- kind of give you an explanation. Plenty of reason to celebrate this morning that we do have hope found in sacrifice and our yearly um, focus is to respond, to respond to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, to respond as a people who are here this morning in a number of different circumstances. Um, we may not be a persecuted church or an underground church or a church that is in peril because of the decisions of our government. We may be able to openly be here this morning and to celebrate our faith, but that doesn't mean that our life is always full of celebration. Some of us here this morning are lonely or heartbroken. Some of us are tired. Some of us want to see things from a different perspective, and we keep getting the same answers at work and at home over and over and over again. But there's hope found in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and his response to us as a people is that we should celebrate that hope, that we should not only this morning as a body, but in our community let people know that our God is real and his love for us is a love story worth sharing. One of the blessings of being able to do a wedding, one that was postponed for a couple years um, last weekend, was to see a couple of kids from a youth group that I was a part of have a chance to go through their wedding ceremony. And to see that um, passionate love that they had initially in their relationship unite them in companionship for forever here on this earth. To walk through those processes and talk about that. We were in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Of course you would be at a wedding and describing what love is. And we walked through a number of things. Another blessing is to be able to attend at a church that, uh, that I love and respect. And be able to be in, in fellowship with another body. And to know that my love for the church isn't just here, but it's in all of God's churches. It's in Virginia, and it's in Alabama, and it's in Tennessee where my parents are this morning, and it's in the Dominican Republic, and in Haiti that's struggling, and hidden somewhere in Afghanistan are people who are fighting for their lives to be able to say, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. We, we look at that, and that's worthy to say, but is it um, that easy to live? Maybe we haven't been put in that position yet, and I pray, God, that we won't be here in this country. But our reality of what church is, it doesn't necessarily match how easy it is for others. But those people are called to respond as well. This morning, there's a fine line between success and failure, and it's really that line that says, how do I keep the faith? In all circumstances, I continue to push forward to, toward the goals that I have and, and the love story that God has set out for us. In Genesis chapter 1, God made man in his own image, and he said it was very good. And from the beginning, God was in relationship with man. He spoke with man. He walked with man in the garden. Man and woman had a great opportunity to sort of give them what he intended from the beginning, to give them what heaven will be like for us in the end. But then Satan had failure on the mind. Satan had a goal, and that was to make this process of success as difficult as possible for us. And he does a good job at it, does he not, church? He does. He makes things more complicated than they need to be, and not even with negative things. Sometimes with good things, life can get complicated. 
we sang about the death, or the depth of love and the heights of joy that are found in the cross. And this morning, as we think about all the things that we come in contact with in our faith walk, there are a number of things that we can stumble upon to, to, to make failures of ourselves. And as a body, become failures of what God has intended for us. Not just people who love him, but people who love him and love others. Serve him and serve others. And so as we look this morning at um, the failure to find our soulmate last week, um, Whitlord um, did a wonderful job of talking about uh, the, f- the failure to see success through God's eyes. And there are a number of things that we could kind of latch onto in some of the stories that he talked about, but the idea of kind of taking less to become more. And in and, and, and our scripture reading today out of Mark chapter 10, and I chose that specifically for a reason, I'll let you know that in here in just a minute, we see the, the rich man in the kingdom story. And that, that story, is, as you look at it, is not just about someone struggling with um, giving, sacrificing, or serving. It's someone whose priorities were out of order. Someone whose heart was on things that weren't God's things. And in, 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 in reality, someone who struggled with who their soulmate is. And this isn't just a, a, a sermon or a, a talk this morning on marriage or on dating or on relationships. It's about the heart of man. And in the heart of man has to be linked to our, our soulmate, the one that we're connected to at all costs, in all circumstances. The one who we're grounded in and our foundation is set upon so that no matter what happens, we come back to our first love. See, God has loved man and the church from the beginning. And I love church. I don't just love church when, it's, when the singing's good or when the, when the numbers are up or when we have a fellowship meal afterwards. Those things may make church seem sweeter. I love the idea of church because God is married to that idea. And not just because it was attractive to him at one point, because he was a companion to it throughout eternity. God's commitment to you is, in a, in a sense, like a marriage. Something that's not just fair weather, but it's eternal. Passionate love is the magical feeling when one falls in love. We've, we've, we've been there, I think, at some point. We've had this passionate love for maybe another person. Maybe it's the first kiss, the first time you held hands, that love at first sight. And for those of us who've said, I'm not interested in that type of love, it's that first taste of a certain type of ice cream. <laughs> maybe it's that um, home-cooked meal that your mama makes that you can't wait to have again. Maybe it's a pet that shows unconditional love, no matter how hard your day's been. You have some kind of passion, a magical feeling when you're connected to those things. Sometimes it's for the love of the game. It's for the perfect game. There's a young man um, for um, South Dakota who's pitched um, a no-hitter by himself and a combined no-hitter with his team. And and the the love of the game that I see in that young man, and and to think for someone who's a sports fan, it's, it's pretty amazing what you see that young man to be able to accomplish. It's something special. It kind of is this magical feeling when Little League Baseball comes around for me. It takes me back to when I was a child in Babe Ruth Baseball in Harrison County and being able to participate in a team and love my teammates and love the game. It was just simpler times. We have some sort of idea of what makes love, what makes passion for love something that is magical. 
You know, when, when youth, uh, when, when I work with youth and ask them um, what they're going to do when they choose to get baptized, I would challenge the, the young people to, to write a love letter, to write a letter to yourself of explaining the reason why you chose to be baptized. You know, the Bible, in a sense, is a love letter from the beginning till the end. It has all kinds of high drama and, and highs, passionate moments from God and low struggles for man. And you see God's love throughout the bloodline of Christ, throughout Scripture. And so for us, when we struggle, when things are good or when things are bad, we can kind of go to Scripture and it can balance us out in what, what our purpose is and where our love is found. But maybe internally we, we make decisions and we don't realize why we made those decisions. Maybe we're not as comfortable with them later. And the commitment to be baptized, to be part of the family of Christ, to be adopted into son or daughtership, into, into the kingdom, is something that we need to remind ourselves why we were passionate about that at one point. Because faith can be a struggle. So ask kids, write a story. Tell yourself why you chose this big decision in your life so that one day you can look back at it. And remember that magical feeling. You know, relationships need passion. And maybe they begin with passion, but do relationships last with passion? Are those mountaintop moments what keep a relationship moving forward? Maybe. Maybe we long for them. We have enough of them. Maybe we're charmed enough that we don't feel the valleys and everything's um, the top of the world scenario. But if not then we need to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, I'm skipping forward to eight verses 8 through 13, and we'll get to 4 through 7. And we know love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I would put away, put my childhood behind me, or put away childish things. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then, we'll, then we shall see face to face. Now we know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. We have faith that we're here for the right reasons. We have hope in the sacrifice that's been given to us, but we see these things carried out. In love. Our faith is justified through love. Our hope in what is to come is justified in the love of Jesus Christ, the love of our Father through the life of Jesus Christ. And so when we look to all these things, the prophecies, the tongues, maybe the spiritual gifts, the high moments, the high watermarks, the mountaintop moments in our faith where we say, I have this ability or gift because of God, it's the little things. It's the little things that keeps that love relationship moving forward. Faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Passionate love is one thing, but companionate love is found in less intense moments that allow the relationship to grow deeper. Those companionship moments that aren't, they don't have to be mountaintop moments. They don't have to have the right music playing or the candles lit at the right moment. They don't have to have all the magic. These are kind of the ugly moments in a relationship. The ones where you don't get what you want, but you see love carried out anyways. The ones when you're caring for someone, when caring for people is difficult. 
when people lose their ability to take care of themselves, when you have to bathe a loved one, when you have to help a loved one take care of some the dirty details of life, when someone you love loses their ability to think clearly, maybe they can't remember your name anymore. Passion is hard to find in someone who doesn't know who you are, but companionship, those relationships, those keystones in a relationship will help that relationship grow. After the passionate times, the big acts of love and the gifts of love, those all feel good, but after they're gone, we need something deeper in relationship. Why the letter is so important to young people is when you get to be an old person, maybe you don't remember the passion as much and the decisions don't make sense like they used to. And what we'd love to say, what I hope we can say, what I pray we can say to young people who are choosing to be a part of their faith in a passionate way is that companionship, love, that companionship between us and God through Jesus Christ is the mountaintop. It may not seem like it because it's found in the ugly things and the difficult things at times, but it is. It's a mature look at commitment. Companion love allows a transition from passion to real deep, lasting love relationships. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects, trusts, hopes, and perseveres. Love is found in the small things, in patience, in kindness, in humility. It's found in respect, in sacrifice, in self-control, and forgiveness. It's found in protecting others when you're the one who is found vulnerable. It's found trusting and persevering in, in something greater than ourselves. These are the things we see in more mature love relationships. The trick to this, if you're looking for an appropriate example of love through social media and the TV, you're not going to see these things carried out. You're not. Typically, you're going to see all the, the beautiful things, the highlighted things, the tweetable things, the postable things, whatever things that you would put online so people know we're doing it right. And I wish on the other side of the world, and then in the back of our mind, we would put forward the things that are hard to deal with that show what love is really about. It's taking care of people in the difficult situations. It's loving those who love you, and it's loving those who choose not to love you back. It's loving when you get what you want, and it's loving when you do not get what you want. It's in the small things, because in the small things... Big things are possible. It's not love that sustains our marriage, but marriage that sustains our love. Diedrich Bonhoeffer. It's not love that sustains our marriage, but marriage that sustains our love. And if, for, for those of you who are in the audience today saying, I'm not married, I can check out now. This is the shortest sermon I've heard in a long time from Corey. I'm not talking just about people who are married like we understand marriage. I'm talking about people who are deeply committed to a relationship. So, the marriage to, in your faith to God, yes, and to your spouse, but to your siblings, to your friend groups, to your congregation, that connection, 
It's not love that sustains a marriage, but marriage that sustains our love. Commitment to being connected, companions to something greater than ourselves. It's not easy. And love is the passionate part of that. It's all the big things. It's the reason why it began, right? But if God only loved us when we were doing good things, that love story ended quickly in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 2. The love story was over. And sin, it came into the, it came into the, um, into the relationship if God walked away at that moment and said, I am not committed to the thing that I created because it's not committed to me, then we have no idea of what marriage is really about. Because God is married to us more so than we are to him. God has chosen us even when we do not choose him. Think about that commitment for a minute. We, we can, we can kind of go back and forth in relationships and choose things that we like. We can, and not even with people, but in, um, in circumstances, God doesn't have that freedom. He is linked to us eternally because he created us, and he wants us all to be linked to him eternally. He's the one married to us. Christ is the one married to the church. Jesus is the example of how God writes that relationship and reconnects us to redemption in that love story. Marriage is a fundamental created reality by God that cannot be altered. It's not something that society has said is something that it's appropriate for us. It's not something that can be defined by the laws of our nation or what people in our world say marriage is. It is what God intended marriage to be from the beginning. Committed companionship to his people. Now we see that as husband and wife together and honoring that relationship. We have simplified that to say passion moves us toward marriage and marriage keeps us together. And that's not how God sees companionship. God sees marriage as a commitment that brings love to the forefront, not love uh, allowing us to see what marriage is all about. Fully committed people showing love to each other. Now, yes, our husband and wife relationship should look like that, but we should also love, be committed to people who we're not married to in our society. If we look at Mark chapter 10 where we were at, we see this story, Jesus is on his way and this man runs up to him and falls on his knees before him and calls him good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? We know this story. We know this story is about a heart condition of a man who is rich and we know that his riches become a stumbling block. And so what is a relationship made of? Is it just knowing someone? Is it being obedient and humble to someone? Is a relationship serving someone or willing to sacrifice for someone? And I'll say that this morning it's all four of these things. All four of these things are what determines what a healthy relationship looks like. And see, the rich man lacked in, in, in a few of these things. We're going to talk about his lacking, but I want us to look at this this morning. 
It's not just what a relationship. These are also things that what must I do to be saved? The rich man asked him, what do I need to do to, to go to heaven? I, I, do, I, I, I understand certain things. These are the things that Jesus highlights for him. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. This question to the rich man gives the rich man a chance to say, I know who God is. I know who God is because in keeping the law, I have become married to God. And by being married to God, I know that you are good because I see God's qualities in you. I may not know yet that you are the Christ, but I'm looking for the Christ, right? We have a lot of people, the woman at the well and others who Jesus comes face to face, face, to face with, who struggle with really understanding who he is before Jesus is willing to say who he is. But this man, a knowledgeable man of the law, the books, the, the, the commandments, maybe he has more insight than Jesus gives him credit for. Well, how do we know if he really knows who Jesus is or who God is? He knows the commandments. He knows he shouldn't murder. He shouldn't commit adultery. That stealing is against the commandments. I shall not give false testimony. I shall not defraud. I shall honor my father and mother. He knows these things because he understands the laws that connect him to man. Jesus highlights these things. He says, I see that you understand what it takes to be godly or to be Christ-like to other people. But what has he left out? Have no other gods before me? Remember the Sabbath day? Not taking the Lord's name in vain? What about those commandments that are directly linked to a relationship with God first? You can keep the commandments that say I love other people, but if you don't love God first, then what do you have? You have a false understanding of what commitment and relationship is. And if you love God first and come to church and have no other gods before him and you don't love other people, you have a false assumption of what a committed relationship is to God and man. Jesus sees the heart and he understands this man's faults. And it's not that he, does, that he, that he lacks in knowledge because he understands these things since he was a child. Love must be, love, to be love must be specific. It can't be a shot in the dark. Passion at times happens by circumstance. Those, high, those mountaintop moments, sometimes you're aided by an appropriate sunset or a gust of wind or something, um, a song on the radio that you hadn't planned that makes it even sweeter. But God's love is specifically planned and prepared and intentionally done for you in a way that it doesn't come down to chance. The love story written from the beginning and seen through Jesus Christ and given to us for eternity was specifically crafted for you. Not just someone like you or someone who fits a demographic who would be in this place, but specifically for you. You the one who would struggle with stealing, or you the one who may have committed adultery. You the one who struggle with your identity. You the one who feels like no one can love you. You the one who struggles with being content where you're at instead of going somewhere where maybe you shouldn't be. You the one who was abandoned early in life before you can understand who mom and dad even were 
and then had to realize later in life that you weren't wanted. God has a specific love story written for you. Teacher, the man declares, I've kept all these since I was a boy. I understand the law, the Torah, the the Pentateuch, the first five books. He may have them memorized. He's done the things he's supposed to do, but he's left out the important parts. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Mark chapter 10, but we're here because Jesus loved him. Matthew and Luke have the same accounts, and they don't leave out the fact that Jesus loves him, but Mark mentions it. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus is disappointed in the decisions that this man has made in his life. And they are apparent to Christ because he can read his heart and he knows you're doing some of it right, but you're missing the high points and I still love you. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven and then come follow me. So, this isn't just a, a message for married people, and this, this isn't a message for rich people either. So if, if, if Jesus looks at you and loves you and says, one thing you lack, give up your pride. Give up your business. Give up your time on the television. Give up your excuses. Give up your hate for people that you don't agree with. Give up your lack of attention and the blinders on your eyes from what goes on really in our world and pay attention to the things that I care about. Loving God first and loving others second. And then follow me on that journey. Committed love is the foundation of all Christ-like relationships. Committed love is the foundation of all Christ-like relationships. And if you look at Christ's relationships with, the team, with just the people that he talked to, the people that he chose to sit down and, and, and dialogue with, the people that came up to him and grabbed his cloak or interrupted him in the middle of a conversation, or the people that other people brought to him and said, look at this adulterous woman. Shame her in front of the world. Jesus says, I'm committed to love in this relationship. I'm committed to love with the sinner. I'm committed to love with the saint. I'm committed to love because that's the foundation of who Christ is. He looks at someone whom he loves who disappoints him and says, I still have a plan for redemption for you. That is God's love story from the beginning. Because if if God gave up on us, we would not understand what Christ-like would even look like because there would be no Christ. But there was And there is, and there is to come. And we have the Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit of God himself committed love dwelling in us and amongst us. You can be loved by someone in person, and you can be loved by someone after their death by the way that they loved and respected you, and maybe maybe by the things that they left you. But to be loved in spirit continually with someone is a type of love that we can't even grasp. It's complete. Committed love. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. He went away sad because his wealth was more important than his commitment. 
So if it's not about wealth and it's not about marriage, what's it about this morning, church? What do we feel sad? What would we feel sad about giving up to follow God fully? God doesn't want us to be sorrowful, and Jesus loves us enough to, to give us the answer to this question. And our final chapter isn't written until it's lived. And I hope there's, there is a redemption story for that rich man that I didn't hear about. I hope that um, after this um, conversation with the disciples that, that kind of calms their nerves, they're like, hold on, if this guy can't, if this knowledgeable, wealthy, rich person that seems like God is blessed can't figure this out, then what are we going to do? And Jesus even looks to them and says, your final chapter isn't written until it's lived. Take up your cross and follow me. So one of the most important things that we can do is to love God and love other people. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than those two. So to be committed in love, we have to love God first. And to understand how to love other people and even to love ourselves, we have to understand that God loves us, that we are worthy to be loved, that we are worthy of a sacrifice like that of Jesus Christ, and that God's marriage to us isn't just when we do things right, but it's committed to us even when we go away sorrowful. And it's in those moments we need to look back at our commitment contract, the statement that we made from the beginning and say, why did I ever choose to become someone called like Christ? This morning, our one simple truth is love is not something we fall into, but it's a relationship that we fight for. God is fighting for you, your love story specifically. And we are blessed with all the circumstances for this to look like some Hollywood movie. A beautiful building, well-dressed individuals here, conveniently placed in a prepared ceremony in which we can celebrate who we think God is and what God wants from us this morning. And yes, he desires uh, um, us to worship and glorify him this morning. He also desires us to serve our neighbor as ourselves. As we love ourselves, we should love our neighbor. God desires us to do more than just be here this morning. He desires us to fight, to be like Christ in all situations. So this morning, follow Christ's example. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, follow God's example, therefore, in verse 1, as dearly loved children, walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Rich man, you want to know how you want to please God? Sacrifice. Poor man, you want to know how to please God? Sacrifice. Sacrifice something different than money because money isn't your issue. Money doesn't captivate your heart. Mentioned in this is the relationship between husbands and wives. Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head, of the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, also the wife submits to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing by the washing um, through, of, with water through the word and to present herself to himself as a radiant church 
without stain or wrinkle and any other blemish, holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Who loves his wife loves himself. We see a mutual commitment in marriage. And oftentimes we put all the way to that, that, um, that idea of marriage on just husbands and wives. But church, we need to be married to our community. We need to be married to each other. We need to be married to the lives of the kids who are in this room that, not, uh, that are not our own and the children that may not be in this room that don't have parents themselves. Because love is not something that we just fall into, but it's a relationship worth fighting, fighting for. Love is in our marriages, yes. It's in our homes, yes. It's at work, yes. It's, on, it's online, yes. And Christ's example can be lived out in all those places. Now, tomorrow, fight for the relationships with a Christ-like example. This morning, as we close, we have an opportunity to respond through the invitation. We have an opportunity to commit to being a Christian and being baptized and to, um, to admitting and committing our lives to, um, to God and, and, and Jesus Christ and Him to be the Lord of our lives. And that idea of having someone lord over us means that someone else is our master, that we answer to someone else's rules. And in our world, that's really not a popular place to be right now. There aren't a lot of conversations that can start out with, someone should make your decisions for you. In our marriages, it's a tough one to sell. In our job place, it's tough to talk about that. In our, in our schools, it's tough that someone would be the Lord of our lives, that someone would have the authority to make decisions for you. Only one person does. It's the one who created you. It's the author and creator of all things. He has the right to ask of us full commitment. And we have the responsibility to give that to him first. As Christ said in Matthew, or Mark chapter 10 to his disciples, above your own father and mother, and even the relationships that you have, God first. So if you want to put God first, respond to the invitation. Become Christ-like, become a Christian, and choose to fight for love in your community, in your friendships, in your relationships. And if God isn't first, if something else has taken the throne in your life, make it the Lord again.